That was uh, incredible, wasn't it, watching the baptism? It was great to have been part of that yesterday. Uh, I was the one holding the GoPro, so it was cool. Um, and uh, look, if you're here and you've been um, a follower of Jesus maybe for a little while, or maybe you've only become a follower of Jesus recently, but you've not been baptized, or if you've been baptized as a kid, but you know, you didn't know what that means and you haven't been confirmed, um, why don't you have a chat to Pastor Marshall, because we would love to do this all over again. Um, our plan is actually to do this at least twice a year. We kind of didn't earlier in the year, but we we're planning to, God willing, um, on Easter Sunday. So that's around April next year. So that'll be the next lot of baptism slash confirmations. Easter Sunday is like the best time to do it, right? It's a symbol of new life. Jesus rose from the dead. You rise to new life. Um, and if there are no more COVID restrictions, we're going to like put out the pool out there in the courtyard like we did last year and just do it live. If there are COVID restrictions, we're just going to crash Marshall's place again. Um, okay, but yeah, talk to Pastor Marshall. We'd love to see more of that kind of stuff. This is what you know, this really gets my heart pumping. It gets me so excited. I hope it gets yours too, because this is really what it's about, isn't it? Fantastic. Okay, um, we're going to get going. We've been doing a series. If you're new, if you're following with us online, where we're, we're doing a series on uh, the prayers of the Bible so that we can use the prayers that are in God's Word, help us to pray His words back to Him. In 2015, uh, during Father's Day, around Father's Day, uh, there was this article that appeared in an American newspaper, or I think online um, article, about leading American and Asian dads, right? So leading Asian American dads, I should say. Um, and they were asked by the, by the article to write letters to their own children, okay? And so this kind of um, caught my attention. But particularly, the one that caught my attention was uh, this one. I'll just show you a picture of... Um, one guy, I don't know him, but he's, he's in some sort of industry. He's kind of head of his field in, in some way. His name is Conrad Ng. Uh, let me read to you what he wrote to his young children who are pictured uh, there in the photos. As I write this letter, I am sitting beside you while you are sleeping. It is morning. The summer sun is shining outside. I can see your beautiful faces. I can hear you breathing. I am counting your toes and fingers. Same number as before, but not as tiny. Nothing feels more precious than right now. I want to put this moment in a bottle and keep it forever. Being your dad has been my greatest achievement. Seeing you is the brightest part of my day. You remind me that the best parts of life are the simple pleasures of your company. Watching you dance, listening to you sing, feeling the warmth of your hug. Your presence in the world makes me want to be a better man. Your world already feels more complicated than the world I grew up in, and I hope that I've been able to help you learn how to navigate its tangles and knots. There will be times when life will not be easy. During those times of adversity and hardship, continue to strive towards being your better self. I'm confident it will emerge. You will realize how powerful you truly are. Wherever life will take you, please remember that somewhere in the world, I am marveling at the incredible person that is you, gushing over who you are, ever proud. Somewhere in the world, I am loving you with all my heart, always, Dad. I'm not crying, you are. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but... Isn't it true that one of the greatest joys in life is to pour your life into another person? And I reckon what beats that is 
being able to pour your life into someone else in their journey of becoming a Christian or growing as a Christian. Right? You guys know what I mean? If, if you're in any sort of leadership capacity at church, whether formally or, or not, you've discipled someone, that's the greatest joy, isn't it? Watching someone grow in their faith. Um, if, if you're a spouse, then you're invested into the Christian life of your spouse, wanting to see them become the people that God made them to be, partnered with you. If you're a friend of someone, a peer of someone, and you've been part of their journey of growth, if you're parents, then the precious little ones that you want to see grow to faith in Jesus and grow in maturity and grow to be adults in Christ, right? There's nothing like it. If you've been involved in the life of any of our baptism or confirmation candidates today, some of you have prayed for them. Some of you are parents who've invested and sown into them. Some of you have helped them from the first step they took into this church, any church. Isn't it one of the greatest joys to be involved in someone else's life? It's even better, I think, than being a physical dad. You know, to my kids, it's being a spiritual dad or a spiritual brother. Now, if you're in that position, and many of you are, I wonder if you've ever thought about, well, what is the most important thing I could want for them? Right? What is the most important thing that I could be praying for them, asking God for when it comes to these people that I want to see grow and love Jesus more? Well, the Bible passage that we just read, that incredible three verses from Philippians 1 that tells us in this beautiful little prayer, what are some of the best things you can be praying and wanting for others? So let's have a look at it again, and I'll go through it fairly quickly in three points. This is my prayer, says Paul, as he prays for the Christians that he's come to know and love in the city of Philippi, a church that he founded, actually. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God." Very simple prayer. Let's have a look at three points. Firstly, did you notice the end goal? Let's start with the end. What's it all aiming for? Verse 10 says, So that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The day of Christ is that day at the end of ages when Jesus comes to judge. Everything is made new. All evils are fixed. And all goodness is realized. Now, can I just have a show of hands? Who graduated, or who, who has a family member even, who graduated this year? Whether it's from primary school, high school, university, or you. Just, just hands up quickly. Yeah, there's a few years. Twelve, a few people graduated. People in your families have graduated. We've had a year six graduate as well. Um, graduation ceremony, it's kind of this time of the year, isn't it? You know, what's been the best thing um, with presentation days is being able to watch them online this year. We haven't been able to go in person, but you can just kind of tune out during the boring speeches. Uh, and you can even just rewind and watch your own kids over and over again. Anyway, um, graduation day is wonderful. The year 12s have just finished, a couple of them sitting here. And, um, you know, you've been spending, especially like high school graduation, like 12 years of your life, you know, invested into school. And then, you, you know, you finish, you graduate. And, and there's just so much pride, isn't there? Uh, well, I want you to imagine, I want you to think of the day of Christ that it talks about in verse 10 as that great graduation ceremony at the end of the ages. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what you were saved for, so that you've made it through life. And life, for almost all of us, if you live long enough 
as a follower of Jesus, or basically as you've lived long enough, it's not going to be easy. 2020 is really just a snapshot of what life can be like. And it really wasn't that bad relatively for, for us in Australia. But life is going to be hard. And sometimes, I don't know if, about you, but sometimes I wonder, how, how does anyone make it through, right? How does anyone make it through the Christian life and still love Jesus? But at the graduation day, right, we'll all be finished. All the suffering will be gone. All the tears will be wiped away. And you will have made it through the ups and the downs, through the detours, through the backsliding, through the good times. You'll make it. And you imagine there, and there is God, the Heavenly Father. And He's there on His throne. And there's Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And they're ready to shake your hand as you walk up on that imaginary stage up to heaven. And there's a smile beaming on God's face because he's so proud that you've made it. And the angels are there and they're hushed because they can't wait to see you graduate. And you walk up and you approach the throne of God. And Jesus is there and gives you a big hug. And he says, I'm, I'm so glad that you've made it. I'm so proud that you're here. We're going to spend eternity together. I hope you're ready for this. Right? That's the picture. That's where God wants to take us. That's the end goal. And God wants to see us pure and blameless, not because we've lived a perfect life, but because Jesus, by His death and resurrection and His forgiveness, makes us pure and blameless. And so we're to be who He saved us to be. And so we get there at the end day and we can receive our graduation. That's the end goal. That's what we want. That's what God wants for us. That's what we should be wanting for the people that we care for. Now, actually, though, if you look carefully, that's not the final, final goal. Okay, that's, a, that's almost, that's, you know the difference between what's penultimate versus what is ultimate. The ultimate is the final. The penultimate is the one before the final. That's actually the penultimate goal, right? Us being pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The ultimate goal, you'll notice, is actually in verse 11. We may be pure and blameless, verse 10, for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, but what's the ultimate goal? It's the last half sentence there. To the glory and praise of God. Our graduation, the pride that we will feel for the people who will face Jesus and be pure and blameless, that will get there at the end, um, the pride that God will feel in His redeemed people, that is not the ultimate goal. It's the penultimate goal. Because the ultimate goal is actually the glory and praise of God. So I reckon our final graduation in spiritual terms is going to be a little bit more like this. And some of you actually have maybe experienced this or know of people who have experienced this. We're not just talking about um, the majority of us finishing high school or university, but you imagine a situation where someone has come into the country and their parents have been refugees. They right, come into the country and, and, and actually this is true of the experience of many of our brothers and sisters from a Bankstown congregation whose parents have come as refugees. Some of them themselves were babies on refugee boats from Vietnam. And so your parents came as refugees and they are here wanting a better life for you. And so they spend all of their time pouring their efforts and their labor, working really menial jobs. And some of the migrant parents here, uh, or your parents, um, did, did that as well. Some of them have in their home countries have been super qualified, but here have had to work, you know, really different kinds of jobs. And the reason is they want to put you through school. They want to give you the opportunity to have what they could never have. 
Now imagine the graduation ceremony in that circumstance, you see? While it's true that it's great that you've graduated, the pride that you feel for graduating, you know what? The ultimate glory and praise in that situation goes to your parents, doesn't it? Those who did everything and worked their hands raw and worked late nights and worked 60 plus hour weeks so that you could graduate. Yes, it's great to have you receive the glory of graduation, but if you're in that situation, don't you want your parents to receive the glory because they deserve it, yeah? That's the ultimate goal. When they've put in the effort, they've paid the price. Well, on our graduation day, at the end of ages, it's not going to be us that's going to receive the glory. It's going to be God, isn't it? Because what price did He pay for His people for us to get there? That we could be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. I'll tell you what price He paid. Jesus came to earth Christmas 2,000 years ago. He became a man. He suffered He bled, he went to the cross, he was crucified, he took our sins in our place, though he never sinned. He bore the punishment that we deserve for our impurity and our blames and our guilt and our unrighteousness so that we, through his death, could be pure and blameless and righteous. He took that all, he died, and he rose again. He did it all for us. That was the price God paid so that we could get there on graduation day. There's not going to be one person on the last day facing Jesus who can absolutely at all take pride for for being there. There's nothing that we've contributed for that. Nothing. Zero. Even the faith that, that you put in Jesus, the Bible says that faith doesn't even come from you. God gave it to you. You could not have even begun to seek after God if He wasn't already seeking after you. On that day... There will be no room for boasting, no room for glory in what you did standing firm as a Christian. No, only because of God who saved you and put His Spirit in you, who, only because of Him, will get there in the end. And so all the glory and praise will be for Him. All right, but that's the end goal. That's the picture that we get there. And that's what we should be praying for. That's what we should be wanting. Now, how are we going to get there? Because this prayer is actually going to give us the the how. Well, it's the next point, isn't it? It says there, right, that your love, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you be able to discern what is best. And then the goal is pure, blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Okay, you see? How we're going to get there is through love and knowledge. Do you get that? Fruitful, pure, blameless lives can only come about, will only get there through love abounding in knowledge. Now, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? How many of you put those two together? Because this, this prayer puts, it's saying you can't have just love without knowledge. And you can't just have knowledge without love. Right? You can't have love that's growing and abounding if it's not growing in knowledge. And knowledge, if it's not coupled with love is empty. It's, it's fruitless. Um, love without knowledge um, is a little bit like this. If, you know, I don't know if you guys um, go camping or um, you do actual, you know, um, coal, I do a bit of barbecuing and um, I've got one of those Weber ones where it's not you know, gas heated. It's actually, you're going to like burn coals and stuff. Um, and I don't, I'm not great at starting fires, but I know the shortcut, right? You get one of those fire starter things, you know, those white thingies and you light them up and then you, you know, it's great. 
Um, but I do know this, that if you just have the fire starters, which catch on fire really quickly, but you don't have any coal over it, all right, or you get the kindling uh, when you're going camping, you start a fire, but you don't have solid wood, you know, especially hardwood over it, that's going to burn, but it's going to burn very quickly, but there's nothing to fuel the flames. Right? Love without knowledge is like that. Now, you might have a lot of love, a lot of emotion, a lot of passion, but if it's not coupled with knowledge, it's just like lighting fire starters without coal. On the other hand, knowledge without love is also completely useless. That's just like having lumps of coal without any fire at all. Do you see what I mean? Right? Love and knowledge must go together. And, and, and um, it's a little bit like this. I don't know if you've ever... It's, it's Christmas time, right? And you may not have thought how important it is that love goes with knowledge. Um, it's Christmas time, and I don't know if you're one of those people like me who either receives dud gifts or has a record of giving dud gifts. Yeah? My kids would tell me that I am the master of giving dud gifts. So we do the Secret Santa thing at home where everyone gets like someone else's name in the family and we're supposed to like buy a present um, and it's only like five bucks or something. Just, you know, just a bit of fun and you're supposed to surprise them. And um, I reckon I got one of my kids a great present like a couple of years ago because um, I found it in one of those, you know, Asian kind of Daiso type shops. It was like a nail clipper and uh, it's incredible because when you clip nails, the nail bits don't go flying everywhere. It catches it. So I got Andrew, my son, one of those. And he's like, yeah, he was really upset. Um, and so he gave it back to me for my birthday. Anyway, I actually thought it was a great gift. Like, so practical. Like, who doesn't want one of those, right? But I didn't know my son. And it was a dud gift, right? Love without knowledge is like that. Right? You can't love God, you can't love others well if love isn't combined with knowledge. Do you see what I mean? Now, some here, when it comes to love and knowledge, some of us need to fire up our knowledge because we have a lot of knowledge. You might have grown up at church, you might be a leader, you know the Bible inside out, but your love is really lacking. All right, It's all coal, but just lumps of coal and wood with no flames. And this prayer is wanting your love to abound in knowledge, so knowledge itself is not good enough. It's got to be love abounding in knowledge. Now, some people are here, and, and you lean much more towards, I just know stuff, but I don't feel my heart warmed by what I know. I don't, I don't, I don't give myself more towards God or others in love because of what I know. Knowledge is just for knowledge's sake. Now, if that's you, right, you should be praying for yourself and seeking for yourself that your knowledge would grow in love. But on the other hand, there's going to be others who need to mature their love with knowledge. You have the passion, but it can be like burning fire starters or kindling. It flares up quickly. It's hot, but it's only for a short little while because you, you, your knowledge is so lacking. Or, or you feel love for God, but it's really, you don't really know how to love God better because your knowledge of God is lacking. Or you try to love others. And it's just like my son who receives from me the dud gift. You don't know them well enough to love them well in the way that they receive love. So for you, you need to couple your love with more knowledge. So what is it for you? And by the way, you can look at it in a broader sense. I think every church will have a church culture where they tend towards more love without knowledge or more knowledge without love. I'll let you work out what SWEC is. But the point is this. You're not going to become the church 
or the people that are going to be fruitful and pure and blameless and righteous. You're not going to get there to the end unless our love abounds more in knowledge because only knowledge and depth of insight is going to lead to, look at verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best. All right? Discerning what is excellent or approving is another uh, translation. Is that approving knowing, understanding, doing what is best is going to be absolutely key to us getting to graduation day. Now, we all know that the good is the enemy of the best, isn't it? Right? This is talking about the best. It's not talking about discerning what is good. It's talking about discerning what is best. And that's hard, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever played a party game or just a fun game, you know, the kind of this or that game or the would you rather games. Yeah, have you played that before? You know, good icebreaker game. So if I said, would you rather have Maccas or KFC? Uh, would you rather wear sandals or thongs? And if you're not an Australian, thongs are flip-flops. So I have to clarify that. I've got American cousins. They're always horrified when I say, let's put on our thongs. They're like, oh. Get that image out of your head. Um, are you a hair dryer person or do you just air dry after you, have, you wash your hair? Do you, do, you, do you prefer the theater or the cinema? Uh, would you prefer to, say, live in the country in a big house or live in the city in a small apartment? Like, I wonder how you would answer that. This is the kind of this or that, would you rather kind of games. And they're kind of fun to play, but they're really all not very high stakes decisions, are they? Right? And in some sense, both Maccas and KFC are good. Or bad, depending on whether you're health conscious. All right? But what if when the good is the enemy of the best? How do you choose then? See, there are decisions in our lives like, what are you going to do after high school? Who are you going to date, if at all? What job? What career? Where are you going to live or where are you going to move to? How are you going to save or how are you going to invest your money? Are you going to buy or are you going to rent? What schools your kids should go to? Whether you should be a single or dual income family? When are you going to retire and what are you going to do when you retire? Okay, here's the thing. All of those decisions and more, the ones we actually face in life, you're going to constantly come up to the fact that there are good options but you know that the good is the enemy of the best. And God is not going to tell you in the Bible where you should live, who you should date, whether you should save or invest, whether you should buy or rent. Like, God doesn't tell us these things. And do you, you know why God doesn't tell you all the specifics, right? I mean, God actually wants us to grow up. Sometimes don't you wish, wish you woke up in the morning, you're facing a bad decision, like, Lord, give me a sign, Right? Just tell me what I need to do, which job to choose, which uni degree. Now, God doesn't tell you that. And the reason isn't because he doesn't love you, doesn't want to guide you. He also just wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow in wisdom, in discernment, the very things that we're now having to pray about. He wants us to grow our wisdom muscles. The only way we're going to do that is by making decisions and being as wise as possible. But you see, these decisions, right, that the good is the enemy of the best. You've got two good choices, three good choices, four good choices. How do you know which is the best? Wouldn't you like to be able to know and discern and approve and identify and choose what is best? Wouldn't you? I do. 
And as a pastor, I can tell you now, I've pastored people through these kind of decisions. And let me tell you, this is no exaggeration, these kind of decisions can actually lead a person towards more fruitfulness, but I've also seen these kind of decisions lead people away from fruitfulness. Some of these decisions can make the difference between you thriving as a Christian or you just becoming lukewarm as a Christian. They matter, don't they? You see what's at stake? Well, if you do know what's at stake, then you see why this prayer is so important. Yeah? You're praying that as your love abounds in knowledge and insight, you will be able to then know what is best. Discern it. Choose it. Maybe leaving aside what is good for what is better. That's a great thing to want for ourselves and for those we love, isn't it? Well, finally, though, let me ask you. This is the prayer. I've just explained it, right? Philippians 1 is a great prayer, isn't it? So back to you. Who are you praying this kind of prayer for? Is there anyone that you are praying this kind of prayer for? Now, I think the majority of us will say yes, or at least you know who you can begin to pray this prayer for. But then some of you may, may be really scratching your head. Like, I don't really know who I care that much about in their Christian walk to be praying, really praying and really wanting this for them. And if that's you, um, can I just uh, encourage you, urge you to get involved in the lives of others, all right? That's the best solution. If you don't know who you could be praying this for, you don't have someone come to your mind that you could be wanting these kind of very good, excellent things for, then maybe you need to get more involved in the lives of others through your local church. Because here's the thing, right? And this is something that we have to keep fighting at this church, at every church in, in the comfortable West. Church is not here to meet your needs. Right? That church is not primarily here to meet your needs. That's not about you. Right? Church is actually about the other. Church is about building others up so that together we can make it to the final graduation day as disciples of Jesus. Right? Church is not primarily about meeting your needs. And I need to say that again and again and again because we are in such a consumeristic culture, right? And there's churches everywhere. And now you can access them online and you can just hop church and you can just change churches because your needs are not being met. And I want to urge you saying that is not the way to maturity. That's not the way to, to be pure and blameless and righteous for the day of Christ Jesus. There are good reasons to move churches, but consumerism, meeting your personal needs as they change over the course of your life, that is not the primary reason. But in fact, if we invest our lives in the context of church with people, into people, so that you're not looking at yourself and how my needs have been met, but your eyes are gazing around and you think, I mean, just look around you right now. Who are the people, if you're, if you're a man, young man, older man, who are the people I can be investing in? And every person should be able to find one person that's maybe just one stage of life behind them, a little bit younger. Right? You may not be that old, you may just have started university, but well, there are guys, there's boys in high school who need guys like you to invest in them. If you're in high school, they're, they're, they're primary age kids that could really, you know, have a big brother in the faith. All of these things can be done in the context of church. And if you don't know anyone that you are sincerely, sincerely wanting this, to pray this kind of prayer for, then maybe you're not involved in the life of another enough. And my encouragement in the new year is find someone right, and be involved in their life 
sow into them. Because the greatest joy, as we've seen today with these baptism candidates, I'm so proud of what God has done in their lives. Because, you know, I've journeyed and I've seen a lot of these guys, not all of them, but a lot of these guys since the first moment they've walked into our church. And to see them get up yesterday and give their testimonies, and you'll hear the rest of the testimonies, by the way, over the next few weeks. It's just the most incredible thing. I cannot describe how much joy it is to have invested in some small way or big way into someone else's life and to see them grow in Jesus or come to know Jesus. So what are you waiting for? You don't need to be appointed to a ministry, official leadership to be involved in the life of the other. It could just be someone in your prayer trip. It could just be someone you say, hey, can we meet up and read the Bible together, pray together, catch up on Zoom periodically. Get involved in the life of another. And you will begin to want to pray this kind of prayer for someone. All right. Well, what about if you do already have lots of people, some people that you're involved in? Right? You're already uh, praying this kind of thing. Well, can I just say that this is not just a prayer. Right? The, the prayer expresses what's most important in the life of someone else. Which means that this prayer is not just um, a template for what you pray for. It's actually also a roadmap for discipleship. You got that? Did you ever think of that? That this prayer is a roadmap for discipleship. And so if you're involved in the life of someone else already, especially if you have any say or any influence over them, you don't have to wonder what's best for them, how you can lead them. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a youth leader, this is a roadmap to discipleship. So what should you be wanting? You should be wanting their love to what? Abound in knowledge and depth of insight. You want to be helping them grow in love and knowledge. You want to be helping them make wise decisions to discern what is best. You want to be helping them grow so that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. They will be pure and blameless. You see what I mean? This prayer is a template for discipleship. And it actually gives those of us who are involved in the, leading the lives of others, right, something that we can be working on together with them. And that's, again, a great joy. All right? So that the love and knowledge will lead to discernment, which will lead to growth, which will lead to glory to God. That's it for me. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get the band up, and we're going to get ready to sing. I'm going to ask God to help us all right now think of someone or some people that as I pray this prayer, it can be applied to. So Father, bring to mind the people that we care deeply about, people that you've brought into our lives, people that we get to influence in some ways in their growth to become Christians or to grow as disciples of Jesus. And these people that we bring to mind, this now is our prayer for them, that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that they may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To your glory and praise, our God. Amen.